In the TIPBS podcast, you get great ideas and practical advice for educators. You can get more invaluable insights and free resources by subscribing to the TIPBS monthly newsletter. Visit www.tipbs.com and register your email address. Welcome to Trauma-Informed Support. I'm your host, Dr. Kay Eyre. Inclusive classrooms are becoming far more common in our public schools. There are greater numbers of students with disabilities receiving their education in general education classrooms. The National Centre for Education Statistics notes that the number of students with disabilities who spend most of their day in the general education classroom has gone from 33% in 1990 to 62% in 2014. Transitioning students with disabilities from self-contained special education classrooms to inclusive general education classrooms is not an overnight process. It requires thoughtful planning. Teacher training, appropriate student supports, resources, personnel, and a meaningful individual education program need to exist prior to the new class placement. But is inclusion just a good idea, a feel-good pie-in-the-sky theory that does not translate into the real world of schools and classrooms? Today we speak with Nicole Eredix from The Inclusive Classroom. Nicole was an elementary teacher who has spent over 15 years teaching in an inclusive school system in British Columbia, Canada. As a teacher in an inclusive classroom, Nicole has partnered with parents, administrators, co-teachers, paraprofessionals and outside agencies to teach children of various abilities. She is the author of the book, Inclusion in Action, Practical Strategies to Modify Your Curriculum. The book provides 40 specific teacher-tested strategies to modify the curriculum for students who work below grade level. Nicole will be interviewed by my colleague, Dr. Gavin Krishnamurthy. I hope you find the interview useful. Hi, Nicole. Um, thank you for speaking with me today. Hello. You're welcome. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, good. And it's great to have you on. We've been talking about having you on for a long time, so we're really excited for you to be here. Yes, and I'm glad we were able to match up the times because I'm here in California and you are over in... Australia, right? Near Brisbane, so. That's it, yes, it's the magic of technology. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Nicole, I was wondering maybe if we could start with you maybe telling us a little bit about your background and what got you interested in working in inclusion. Oh, okay, um, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, simply, I um, went into education and during my teacher training, um, my university, uh, actually, quickly let me backtrack. I'm Canadian and I'm originally from Canada. So even though I live here in California, I lived in Canada for the first 30 odd years of my life. <laughs> so when I went and did my education, I did it at a Canadian university in British Columbia, the province of British Columbia. And at the time, British Columbia made a move to desegregate their schools mm. and create inclusive schools. 
And given the nature of the um, education system in British Columbia, they um, set sort of provincial guidelines that all schools have to follow. Right. So, and their guideline was, we are going to deconstruct these schools and make them inclusive, you know, take away those, those separated classrooms, um, provide the support that we need and build this, this inclusive foundation mm. for, our, for our children. And so uh, when I was in my teacher training, that's mm. when this change was taking place. So mm. my entire training was based on uh, teaching in an inclusive classroom. And so then my, my, um, you know, learning to teach was all about that. And then of mm. course my jobs were all uh, in inclusive schools and, um, you know, and I worked at many different schools, small schools, larger schools, and uh, in British Columbia. So that's all I've ever known. Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, in 2007, we moved down to the U.S., mm. and things are a little different here. Mm. So um, I've used the last uh, 10 years to just share some of the ways in which schools can be more inclusive because I feel it's mm. best for all students or in, mm. in some form or another. So. Yeah, that, that's really such an interesting story. I, I'd be really curious about how you found, found that change in Canada, you know, when they did the desegregation and how people actually cope because I'd imagine you'd have a real change in the, you know, in the mix in the classroom and, and a real shift in how the teachers had to work. How did you find that? Yeah. So interestingly, it was happening while I was in university. So yeah. I wasn't really on the front line of that change. Mm. But um, I know that, you know, it takes a lot to create an inclusive system. It's not, mm. it's not easy. It's not overnight. Yeah. Um, you know, you really have to create a large network of support in mm. an inclusive school for both students and teachers. Mm. And, you know, I'm sure there was obviously resistance because when yeah. we don't know any better we yeah. you know if we don't have the 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 research behind it or the mm. the experience behind it we always question is this really you know is this another fad is this going to happen you know it's mm. education and um so yeah i ought to be honest with you i don't because i wasn't in the schools i was in university yeah. at the time yeah, i don't really fine. yeah i wasn't on the front line of that um that sort of turnover but yeah. Um, and so by the time I got out, the schools were inclusive. So, yeah, yeah but I, I remember um, I remember around the time that it was happening and there was a lot of talk, a lot of conversation. There was a lot of um, school meetings and parent mm. meetings and a lot of just, you know, really getting the community on board and parents and education mm. stakeholders on board. So, mm. yeah, and it's a process. Like I said, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Um, so just with that, how, how do you explain um, the benefits of inclusion to teachers? I mean, especially those who are quite tired and <laughs> a bit worn down. Yeah. Um, and it's such a complex kind of task, just managing the different abilities and interests of the kids in a class. How would you explain that, um, Nicole? Well, having seen now both types of education systems, um, inclusion is for several things. I mean, and, and I tell people that really, you know, inclusion brings people together. It doesn't separate them. 
And when you separate people, that breeds all kinds of um, negative emotions. <laughs> mm. And so the, in, the climate of a school as a whole mm. becomes a lot more positive, accepting of one another. It's a reflection of the real world, uh, who we are interacting with every day uh, in our grocery stores, in our libraries, in our, um, in our stores. And it really is also based on the fact that, you know, every child deserves an education, a quality education, right? And we need to mm -hmm. ensure that. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure these kids, all kids have access to the curriculum that we're providing in the classroom to, you know, the best extent possible. Mm -hmm. um, and for the tired, worn out teachers, my my other advice and my other you know what i what i like to share is that you, you get help you need help you can't do this on your own yeah right and and inclusive schools don't expect teachers to do it on their own there's mm. a large network of support mm. in an inclusive school from the learning support teacher to the speech language pathologist to the mm. principal even to the librarian um and i know i've been there i spent you know almost 15 years in classrooms and mm. i know that feeling but mm. At the end of the day, it's my job, mm. <laughs> but it's what I signed up for, <laughs> yeah. and it's best for all students. Research has proven that. Um, it creates and makes me a better teacher because I'm constantly reflecting on my practice and, and am I providing the best for the students that I have. It makes me more on the cutting edge of education yeah. because I have to provide new and different ways of of teaching so really you know if you're a teacher that just wants to sit there and coast no it's not going to be for you <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. you know if if you're a teacher that really is enthusiastic about education um inclusive schools have a wonderful supportive climate mm -hmm. and uh when when done properly and um there's a lot of resources a lot of growth in in everybody across the board and um just knowing that you know you're you're helping develop students become uh, participating and contributing members. Yeah. Their schools. So. Yeah. Lots of nice messages. I, I think one of the things I know Kay says in the program is, um, you know, when you get good at teaching the really challenging kids, you just get good at teaching oh. <laughs> across the board. There's no doubt. I mean, yeah. when, you know, these teachers are phenomenal. Like they really are outstanding teachers because they are constantly uh, trying to reach and engage different types of learners. And I would much rather have my student in an inclusive class than not, or my child, sorry, my child in an inclusive class than not, because they are great teachers. Yeah. yeah. I was just wondering, um, Nicole, it sounds like you've had a lot of experience with working with teachers. And sometimes it's useful for people to hear stories of, you know, when things have gone well or, or when this, you know, these ideas of inclusion actually work. Was there a story that kind of stands out in your mind around a time when perhaps just something really simple work made wonders for not just the child who needed it, but perhaps for all the kids in the class and that you, the teacher had a sense of feeling supported as well. Well, it, that's a challenging question. I get asked yeah. that a lot, you know, tell us about an <laughs> experience. <laughs> Every day was in, yeah. um, inclusive. And, and you, and you have to remember too, I mean, I had students of all ranges of abilities in my yeah. class. I had students who were hard of hearing, who were, 
um, had physical disabilities, who had, um, you know, autism, Down syndrome, all types of things. And, you know, my, my success or the feelings of success or seeing the success in the child was really at the end of the day when the child has gone home happy, has learned something, mm. has friends that, you know, say hello, goodbye, mm. um, connect with them on the playground, meet them after school, outside of school. You know, those to me are benchmarks of success. You know, mm. the student is, is engaged in learning, um, wants to learn, and the student's peers accept and uh, the student as a classroom member, you know, there's no kind of us and them. So really um, the best inclusive classroom is when you don't see all those different needs yeah. and all the, you know, that one particular success story because it's a success story for everybody. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds kind of pie in the sky type, um, uh, you know, a, that type of story, but it's not really, I can honestly tell you no. that. Yeah. It's uh, hard uh, to isolate. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is. And, and I think sometimes people think it's these spectacular wins, but often it's these really small everyday things that become part of your work ethic, isn't it? A lot of the time. Exactly. And there's no, there's no um, question, well, can they or can't they do it? It's more like, yeah. how can we yeah. make it happen? And yeah. you know, it's not for full inclusion is not for every child. I mean, there are varying degrees of inclusion. Um, it's very child-based and because I'm not going to say, you know, let's fully include a child in a very busy, large classroom, um, you know, where the child has sensory issues. And obviously, it, do you know what I mean? Like we, yeah. we, we make accommodations and modifications yeah. for that child to participate yeah. successfully. So yeah that's a yeah. nice message too yeah mm -hmm. um, so you have you talk about this framework of the layers of inclusion i wondered if you could speak to that a little bit nicole yeah no problem um so basically the layers of inclusion really are uh it's what it's the foundation of an inclusive school mm -hmm. it's how an inclusive school is built i mean first you have to have the community you know mm. on board and supporting the school um Every, everything from community resources, uh, you know, outside systems of support uh, for, for families, um, libraries, uh, mm. you know, all sorts of, you know, the community has to really be um, on board and participating and supporting families. And then you've got the school itself. And that is, um, you know, the, the principal, the, uh, like I said, the learning assistance teachers, yeah. the speech language pathologists, um, the bus drivers, the school, mm. the cafeteria people, mm. those people also have to be on board and inclusive mm. and um, be prepared and trained mm. to support all learners. And then you've got, you know, the classroom where the action really happens. <laughs> mm, mm. And that's when, you know, you've got the teacher that needs to be uh, properly trained. You need to have the right programs in place, the, um, the learning programs, the individual le learning programs yeah. if necessary. So it's kind of like this, um, you know, an egg, right? Like you've got yeah. these different layers that come down to the middle and, and you need all of that support in order mm. to create successful inclusion. Because inclusion does not happen in isolation. <laughs> it's not, um, I can say it's not a classroom down the hall. It's an entire 
philosophy and approach to education. Yeah, that's nice. And that fits in with a lot of what you're saying around not doing it alone, really, isn't it? That you've got everyone around you and they're all sort of working on a similar framework or a similar kind of value system. Exactly. uh, Having the kids there. Um, So I I was just reminded of um, one of the things we say in the program is, um, it's it's a bit of a, a funny sort of thing, but we sort of say, you know, the the one strategy to never have any behavioural problems ever again in your school is to just not have the child there at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, and that's, exactly. that's not what we want. Um, no. <laughs> um, so, and that fits in really well. You know, it's a nice message, not just for the class teacher, but all the way up to administrators in the community, really. Um, yeah how to be able to do this. Uh, where do you, uh, it sounds like you've worked with lots of different types of children, um, Nicole, but where do you see kids with sort of mental health issues and trauma? Uh, what are your thoughts about working with them and how that kind of fits in with the spectrum of kind of learning difficulties? Yeah, and I, as we all know, um, and research has taught us and told us that trauma affects learning hmm. and, and affects the child's um, receptive capabilities, expressive capabilities, um, often, and and I've worked in schools that have had higher populations of children with trauma and who have come from um, war-torn countries, who have had experiences at home, who, you know, just so many different um, variations of trauma. And though that is just as much and can cause just as many issues as what a learning disability can or or a a physical disability can because you really have to accommodate for and plan for and prepare for students who are coming to you with trauma in their lives or having experienced trauma. Um, And just more of a concrete example, I I know that in one of the schools that I worked in, uh, we would often, in terms of planning our uh, subjects for the for the day, um, we would often leave topics like math and English. You know those really those ones that you have to really kind of mm-hmm. think through. We would leave those and teach those later on in the day, like towards lunchtime, um, as opposed to first thing in the morning, so that it allowed the students who were coming to us to ease into the school day, um, kind of a low pressure transition. And um, so it really, so like any other learning issue or physical issue, trauma, students with trauma also require that attention as well. And that, um, that kind of planning and thought when we are educating them. Yeah. Yeah. uh, And yeah, I I mean, (laughs) it's, uh, you know, there's quite a lot that you can do too to support them. So. Yeah, and it and it's interesting because one of the things I think the struggle with this kind of building relationships and um, having trust with the adults around them, and 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 uh, just kind of thinking about it, I think you need that relational relationship and relational foundation for all kids, don't you? What were your thoughts yeah. about that, Nicole? Oh yeah, I mean. You inclusive inclusive classrooms are based on relationships mm. and social and emotional connections with one another. Mm. 
because there needs to be that level of respect in order to work with one another and work with one another's differences mm -hmm. and their strengths and their abilities and their needs. And especially for children who come to us with trauma, uh, relationships are so essential to helping create a safe, inviting environment mm -hmm. um, where uh, the child trusts you mm -hmm. uh, and can really kind of, you know, focus in on learning as opposed to all of this other stuff that's mm. happening mm. around them. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think rela relationships are key. I mean, mm. in, in, for, for every child mm. um, and, and more so for children with trauma, mm. um, just in, t in terms of that safety and that trust. Yeah. Um, so if you had a um, teacher who's got a child in their classroom who's listening, who's particularly challenging, um, and they hear all this stuff and, and they're kind of thinking, well, I need to teach them these social emotional skills, but it's, they're still challenging to kind of manage within the class. What would be kind of one or two things you would say to someone like that, Nicole? Yeah. So when you're planning and teaching a child with, um, emotional challenges and behavioral challenges, mm -hmm. first of all, you need support. You can't do it alone. You're mm -hmm. going to need, um, backup. Mm. because um, you need to create a place where the child can come and learn. But if the child is having trouble learning or accessing mm. the material or you know, it has, has focused on something else, the child needs, you need to have a backup plan mm. <laughs> for the child. Yeah. Um, you know, so you have to really figure out what areas in your school day where you think will be um, a challenge for that child. So for example, I'm just going to speak to one of my experiences. Yeah. I had a student come to me in grade three, uh, had experienced quite a bit of trauma. Uh, we realized that transitions were really difficult for the student. So um, in the morning, we would have the student come into the classroom before the other children. Mm -hmm. Then we would have the student take a note to the office so we would give the students some jobs to distract from the beginning of the school day. Mm. Um, we would give the students a few little jobs to do. So while the other kids were pouring into the classroom and taking off their jackets and their coats and opening their backpacks, you know, all that chaos in the morning routine, right? Yeah. Um, to keep things low key for this child with trauma, we had the child, um, you know, do some activities outside of the classroom for the first five minutes. Yeah. And then once the class was settled, then we had the child come back in. And, you know, I think, I think at one point we had him going to the library to print off the weather for the day. Yeah. So yeah. he could bring the, the weather report back to us. Yeah. yeah. And then the class was settled. Um, we also had, I've also had a student who had a um, different schedule, like mm. was, kind of on a bit of a different schedule in terms of start and end times in the school day. So he yeah. start a little bit later in the school day and then end a little bit sooner. So you really have to, and that's why I'm saying you need that support, right? You need that way out for the mm -hmm. student. You need to yeah. give the student choice um, and support and predictability routine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, 
it's yeah. not a it's not a here's a sticker for good behavior. No, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> I love the idea of the backup plan, Nicole, and and it sounds that that would be useful depending on how the student presented. You know, if they're having a particularly rough day, that you have a plan for that, as opposed to when they can be redirected or you know can tolerate a bit more structure. Yes, um, I was actually visiting a school last week, and a good friend of mine is the principal there, and it's a wonderfully inclusive school in uh, Burnaby, British Columbia. As they all are there um, and in each classroom there is a set of there's four uh, cards yeah four different cards and they just little index cards and they sit by the door and one card um, you know they did four different colors so one card is uh, um, the teacher has a problem but it can be dealt with in class she just needs the principal to come in and help out the other one is, you know, the teacher has a problem, the child needs to be removed, the, the principal has to come and remove the child. Mm -hmm. The other one is, um, the child's having a good day. Come in and say something to the child that's positive, right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And then the fourth one, I think, is like the whole class is having a great day mm -hmm. and the, the principal comes in. So even just something as simple as that, where you know that if the teacher knows that if there's an issue, that there are steps that the teacher can take to allow the student out gracefully and with um, integrity and yourself mm, mm, <laughs> to mm. get out of that situation um, gracefully and with integrity. Mm. Uh, the last thing you want to do is back the child into the corner and, mm, and back yourself into a corner. Yeah, I love that. That that's such a great story, and and I think it's such an easy way to kind of communicate to others as well. You know, there are other people who have relationships with this child who can yes. kind of help with positive reinforcement or whatever it is, and it's such an easy way to communicate to everyone, isn't it? Exactly, and it's not just reporting bad news. Mm. You know, kids are used to that, right? We're all used to that. Like, mm. you know, we associate school with that, <laughs> right? I don't yeah. want to get in trouble from the principal, but. Um, They've created a system where the principal isn't necessarily the bearer of bad news, mm. um, and and that and that also extends, like I said, to the other support personnel in the school too. They are also, um, you know, it's not just the principal who is the one that's trained to do the removal and. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Just speaking of that, um, Nicole, I'm just curious when you were saying the teacher um, leaves with dignity and grace, and so does the child. Um, and, and I think that plays on the mind of a lot of teachers in terms of um, either having something really kind of unsafe happen in the classroom and feeling like they need to handle it, or you know, feeling like they need to walk on eggshells constantly to not kind of let it escalate. What, what are your thoughts about that, about how teachers should think about that and what's actually needed in those sort of situations? Well, it really goes way back to the start of the school year. I mean, yeah. a, a teacher really has to plan. They have to have sound, strong classroom management skills and where they um, have expectations, the children know what the expectations are, they know what the consequences are if there is an expectation that's not met. Mm. And I'm not talking like consequences in terms of punishment, but there needs mm. to be, you know, an opportunity for the child to um, learn from that, um, you know, when the expectation isn't met. Yeah. Uh, and, and nothing, you know, convoluted and over the top. I mean, I had three really simple rules in my classroom and, and the first two months of that, of the school year, and extending right through the school year, we were constantly talking about, 
you know, are you prepared for, for class? You know, are you being productive? Are you working hard? Mm -hmm. And are you being polite and respectful? Mm -hmm. Like just three simple rules. And yeah. so, um, you know, you don't want to get to the point where you have to work on eggshells and that's the whole goal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, if you're at that point, then uh, it's really hard to come back from that. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, you, it, the focus should be more on preventing mm. the walking on the eggshells and the, and the removal and the, and the explosions. Mm. It's about setting up a system that supports the teacher, that supports the child, where there are plans in place, there's routine, there's structure, there's expectations, the parents are on board or the, or the guardians, and there's constant communication so that everyone succeeds. Yeah. And uh, you know, you're providing the best possible learning environment for the child. Yeah. What are your tips for uh, teaching those rules, Nicole? Because it sounds as though, you know, you have your three simple rules and you sort of teach expectations to that. And sometimes we have teachers who say, oh, we have these kids who, who've heard it all. And especially if you're doing something like um, PBS, the kids probably have. Um, but it sounds to me as though you're saying it's about actually teaching those expectations oh. for kids. Yeah explicit instruction you yeah. cannot put up some rules on a wall and say okay kids those are your class rules let's get to work yeah. no way i mean you have to have when you're when you're working with with students who you know are um you know they've got all these things going on in their head and mm -hmm. and uh and you really have to uh focus in on okay what does this what does this expectation look like what does it sound like? What does it feel like in your heart? Mm. Um, or even, you know, you know, respectful spaces. Mm. So you, and, and it's a constant practice. So there was, there's a lot of practice. There's a lot of role playing. Mm. There's a lot of, um, you know, we use the same language over and over again. So the students hear the same language. Yeah. Uh, so it really is, it's just as much a part of the school day as math and reading. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And, and I feel bad. I feel I, it makes me feel sad and bad for those those teachers that are at that point where they are walking on eggshells around the student because, mm. um, yeah, it shouldn't have got to that point. Yeah. And, and it is right. It is hard, isn't it? It feels like they're getting these cycles of getting along with each other that just escalates. Um, mm -hmm. And it is hard to come back. And it's, and the whole preparation piece is so important, I think. Uh, oh. And um, I know Kay, in the work she used to do, they used to really proactively, before the child even got referred yeah. um, to the class, you'd proactively go work with the teachers, which goes such a long way if they're receptive to it at that point. Exactly. There's a lot of relationship building, um, even, you know, managing uh, the transition into the classroom. Um, you know, we had a student once who would spend the first 10 minutes of the day with his mom in the school and they would just walk around the school, maybe do a few jobs for the secretary. And then the mom would kind of transition him into his classroom and then she would leave. So there's got to be a lot of flexibility too around mm. working with students who have emotional and social issues. Mm. Um, you can't say, you know, it, it, it's, if you, if you set out this very rigid yeah. set format of learning and school climate, 
yeah, you're going to have problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not everybody fits that mold. <laughs> no, no. And, right. and it gives teachers permission to be creative and inclusive too. It doesn't yeah. matter. Um, and, and not necessarily, yeah, follow just that yeah. one track of functioning. Um, I, I was curious to hear your thoughts about um, the use of accommodations and modifications, um, what the difference was and how people should think about using them, Nicole. Yeah, so the biggest sort of uh, place to begin with describing accommodations and modifications is that um, uh, every child deserves access to curriculum, and how they get there depends on what they need. Mm. Um, for example, you and I both wear eyeglasses. Mm. Does that give us an advantage over a student who doesn't? No, because without them, we couldn't see what we need to see. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. We're still very capable and, and can communicate and interact with one another. We just need eyeglasses in order to see the material. So when I describe um, accommodations and modifications, I describe them as giving students what they need to access learning. And it may be the same learning that the other students are doing, the same material that the other students are doing, so, for example, um, that's what we, we call here in America accommodations. When you make accommodations for students, you are basically providing them with access to the material that everybody else is learning. Mm. So, um, if you and I are in a fourth grade class, we're learning our multiplication tables. We can learn them just like every other student. We just need eyeglasses to see the problems on the board. That's, you know, mm. that's what I would relate it to. Uh, modifications are more intense forms of accommodations, at least here in America. I'm not sure about the Australian education system. Um, they require, uh, they're a little bit more formal, they're legal documents, um, and that is when you're providing the student with access to the curriculum, but you are modifying the curriculum hmm. uh, so that the student can learn from it. Mm. So perhaps the student is not ready for multiplication in grade four. Mm. They are still learning to identify numbers, mm. Mm. right? So that's a modification. A modification is a more all-encompassing mm. uh, kind of a larger um, sort of, you know, something that you do for students that requires a lot more uh, changes to the curriculum. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that no, that's great. Yeah, that's excellent. I was just curious about um, how that how that would work. How you could use accommodation modification when you're teaching social emotional skills. You know, when you're explicitly teaching it, because I'd imagine um, for some of our kids, they would need just that little bit more repetition and and support and practice. Is that how you would think of that, Nicole? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and and actually, I would. I would also use it with the entire class as well because mm. not every child learns in the same way. And mm. so when I'm teaching social emotional skills, mm. um, you know, we're using visual schedules, we're using visual uh, stories, we're role playing, um, we're using the same language and the, the personnel that are working with the child, they're also um, using, uh, you know, vis the same visual schedules. Um, uh, kind of walking through, you know, solution plans. Yeah. 
um, very kind of concrete mm. opportunities to engage, even structured playtime, like yeah, structured yeah. social interaction. Um, yeah. You know, we had a one school at recess where the support personnel um, would go out and set up stations with for games, different game stations, and um, you know where there were these really structured opportunities for students to play with one another successfully, and and their um, you know so they these were monitored uh, games where the adults didn't necessarily intervene all the time, but they were there to support and create success for students. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And and thinking about um, break times as well, really, isn't it? It's not just classroom times, and there's some scaffolding in those times as well. Not just supervision, but it sounds like a little more than that. Um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's no being a um, being an assistant to a child with um, social and emotional needs. Uh, or any child, it's not about supervision, it's about facilitating. Yeah. yeah. And um, supporting. Yeah. And helping the student access what they need to access. Yeah. Um, what would you say, we often hear this, and I'm just curious to hear what your response to it would be. They, you know, with the use of these accommodations and modifications, one of the things we hear teachers often say is, how is this fair? You know, how is this fair that this child needs so much of my time and attention and um, there are kids who, you know, who are doing the right thing, who might fly under the radar. And, um, and I guess, you know, one of the lines that we sort of use is, you know, what's, what's good for this child is good for everyone as well. Um, but, but I can see the point in that it is more labor intensive and time intensive. What is your sense of that? How would you respond to um, things like that? Yeah. And it's, it's a constant, uh, balance mm. for teachers in that situation because yeah there is a reality where there, it's you know working with a student who has um, challenges can be more labor intensive but then again you go back to the planning mm. and the preparation so that your time is not taken up in dealing with behavior and because you're anticipating it ahead mm. of time right so you're trying to minimize those issues uh, by anticipating what and how the student will receive yeah. the activity. Yeah. So, um, uh, for example, when I worked in a primary classroom, we did a lot of instruction on the carpet. Mm. And the, so the students would sit at tables, and then I would bring them to the carpet every once in a while to do a more, you know, uh, a lesson that's together. And um, I took tape and I taped X's on the carpet mm, mm. so that every student, and, and I assigned a student to that spot on the carpet, and that was their seat where they sat. Mm. There was none of this, like, let's find a spot here, let's yes. go over there, let's, you know, and so there was a really concrete location for that child to go and sit. And mm. I would actually even say, um, you know, I would call up small groups of children to come and sit. Mm. I wouldn't say, okay, everybody come to the carpet at once, mm. <laughs> right? Mm. Like, that's like a free-for-all. <laughs> it would be more like, okay, can I have this group of students come to the carpet and sit down? And then this group of students. So, yeah, it goes back to um, good practice for all students because there are other kids that benefit from that. Mm. But it also into preparation and planning and um, 
anticipation. And yeah, it, it will be a little bit more labor intensive, but there are other kids that need you in other ways. You know, there are kids that need you to tie their shoes, to open their lunch container, to it's the nature of teaching really. And trying to get all your support in place will ease that, that labor intensive. Yeah. And that's such an interesting Um, point. And, uh, and um, I think just the way you explained it, it made me think it's not just about the actual time. It's also about the teacher's perception of how they're using their attention and time, isn't it? And that if you, yeah. And that if you had a plan, then, uh, you know, you're not beavering away in your mind trying to kind of come up with what needs to happen next, that it's a lot more predictable that frees you up for a lot of the other kids. Yeah. And it, what it does too, is it removes you emotionally from the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So that you're not getting, um, you're not taking it personally. You're not mm. um, taking it, you know, you're not getting emotional over it because it's like, okay, well you, you did this and our plan says that that has to happen. So that's, what's going to happen. Mm. And then, you know, you've got this very, concrete set of steps mm. and the, the student knows about the teacher knows about the mm. staff knows about the parents knows you know they know about um and so the teacher isn't spending a lot of time uh kind of fixing mm. you know i think more time goes into preparing yeah. than it does fixing yeah so, yeah. That's, that's, yeah it's uh, yeah definitely and definitely in the perception of it <laughs> yeah yeah that's a nice way to think about yeah. it Speaking of which, I think it really does stick a toll on teachers. You know, it really kind of wears you down and, and, and you know, gets you quite tired. <laughs> what, what would be your tips for people, particularly in the special education area, around how to survive the work, how to keep at it and, um, while taking care of yourself as well? Oh, boy, you can't do it without, you know, a good... Yeah. Uh, good relationships with other teachers in your school. I had a, a teacher friend um, who worked next door and um, we would even go so far as to trade off for teaching subjects. So, you know, she'd teach my math and I'd teach her English because math wasn't my strong suit, right? Yeah. Um, so it's about having, developing relationships with people in your school. It's about um, just being, uh, accessing support elsewhere. I mean, online, there's a huge community on Twitter of mm-hmm. uh, teachers that support one another. There's weekly tweet chats that teachers can get onto and ask questions that, because professionals and experts um, facilitate the chats, Facebook groups, uh, you name it. I mean, there's so much these days for teachers mm-hmm. who can, and, and teachers from around the world. I mean, look at us. I mean, who would have thought we could you know, share this information (laughs) across the ocean. But um, yeah, that's, and and as many resources as you can find to help, Mm. um, help develop and even just bringing people on board um, Mm -hmm. with you, you know, making sure that you have the parent support or, you know, trying to as best as you can. Yeah. um, And, and personnel support. And Mm. uh, And how about yourself? How about yourself personally, Nicole? How, how do you feel like you've kept at it? What, what's been the big motivator for you to not just go, this is all a bit hard? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I had some really great relationships with other yeah. teachers in the yeah. schools that I worked in and, you know, became lifelong friends with them. Um, and it just made going to work easier. Mm. Uh, I also, you know, uh, you know, all those sort of kind of self-care things that, mm. that people do. 
And then most recently, because I haven't been in the classroom for the last couple of years since living in the States, I've written a book. So that's been a very good, (laughs) I've really enjoyed that process and um, uh, sharing with one another. And just, I I think communication too is really Mm. key because you can't do it alone. Nobody expects you to. Yeah, you know, find yeah. a mentor, find a, a, a friend, find somebody. Yeah. They don't necessarily need to be in your school, but yeah. find somebody that you can, you know, bounce ideas off of. And yeah. And I think piece. that's such an important part of it is kind of actually being curious and wanting to be intellectually stimulated a little yeah. bit about, you know, some of these challenges. Because I think if you're just sit in the day-to-day and never feel like you can take a step back i think that really takes its toll on you doesn't it it sure does i mean it does not make for a pleasant working environment that's for sure (laughs) um yeah and and i mean and that's 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 the other that's the nature of an inclusive school is that people are always reflecting on their practice because they're trying to meet the needs of all these different students that are coming to the school there's constant education, there's constant communication, workshops. I mean, it's it's a real thriving, vibrant environment. Mm. I mean, best I can explain it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, you did mention you'd written a book. Did you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah I'm very excited. Um, it is uh, a book about making curriculum modifications to include uh, students with intellectual disabilities such as autism um, mm-hmm. because we find that here in America students with intellectual disabilities are the least included group of students mm-hmm. and um, many many teachers know how to make accommodations mm-hmm. for students but when it comes to having a student in your class that works you know two three four grade levels below mm-hmm. that's kind of when we get stuck so um, I wrote a book on how to make those modifications to include kids who are not working at grade level. And uh, it's called um, Inclusion in Action, Practical Strategies to Modify Your Curriculum. And it's uh, available for pre-sale on Mm -hmm. Amazon.com. And um, it will be released on April 2nd, 2018. So, yeah. Um, And it will be on my website at the inclusive class or at Amazon.com or yeah. Even you. <laughs> yeah, we could put up some of those links so people can find it um, on yeah. our website as well. That'd yeah. So, w- where do you find yourself now? What are you curious about in your work at the moment? Do you think, Nicole? Um, I'm. You know, it's funny that you asked that because I just the thing that's really sticking out for me right now is how can we make schools and how can we make places of learning more flexible for our kids mm. where there it's not a cookie cutter mm. um, institution, mm. you know, because we're trying to take all these kids and fit them into some very structured uh, practice. Mm. And, um, and I really, I, I really love the idea of um, being flexible, creating flexible learning environments, flexible times, flexible, um, materials just having teachers think outside of the box Mm. when it comes to Mm. uh meeting a student's needs Mm. and then having that support (laughs) yeah that's right and and it is about having that support and being able to allow to be to be creative and think laterally and um and be given permission to do that i think sometimes in itself is so important yeah 
Exactly. Yeah. Because um, without it, it can be, be so frustrating. I mean, yeah. you know, if you don't um, have people subscribing, if you have people subscribing to one way of education, mm -hmm. that's not going to work for everybody. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, Nicole, thank you so much for speaking with us. What I didn't mention is your website, the Inclusive Class. Um, it's got some uh, really interesting and useful resources. Did you want us to? Did you want to point us to any of your other work and resources or links at all? Um, there's. We have a very active Facebook page called the Inclusive Class, and a lot of people get on there and share stuff and talk and um, ask questions. Twitter, I'm active on Twitter. There's a large group of us on Twitter that chat, so drop by and say hello if you have a question. Um, Pinterest, we've got a large Pinterest page of different ideas for inclusive classrooms. So yeah, just Google the inclusive class to find me. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, and best of luck with your book. We'll keep an eye out for that. Thank um, you. And thank you for all your work and thank you for speaking with us. It's been um, really interesting, really practical. Thank you. My pleasure. Likewise, I've learned a lot too. So have a wonderful day. I guess Thanks. it's early morning there. So <laughs> enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> Thanks, Nicole. Take care. We'll talk okay. soon. Take care. Bye-bye. That was our interview with Nicole Eredix. Thank you to Nicole for sharing her experience with us. To access the resources and websites discussed in the interview, check out the show notes by visiting www tipbs.com. If you're enjoying listening to our podcast, please rate and review it on iTunes. Your ratings make all the difference. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>